hashtag Tim and Friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned in to the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Don't gotta dance. Gotta dance. dance. You gotta dance. Hey, what is going on? Welcome, welcome, welcome to Tim and Fred. He's still dancing. On this Wednesday, no overly dramatic introduction this time around. Just facts. Face Kamisa, Jesse Rubinov hanging out here with you once again. It appears both Jesse and Kevin Mickey, who's also here kicking it with us, were spared any slack from their wives for what Ooh. I thought was outlandish comments Ooh. yesterday. However, mm. a development has occurred in um, the last few minutes that has me wondering a couple things. Jesse, I notice on the hand today. There's no ring. Oh, you want to go there? Yeah, well, you want to go there? there? Look, dude. Okay, we've established on previous episodes. show. We've established on previous episodes that like it, it's not the easiest thing in the world to remember to keep it on. Mm-hmm. Like Kevin's- I take it off. I take it off when I go to bed, and then sometimes I just don't put it back on. So all right. today, I'm sorry, uh, Haley, if you're watching, but if, I'm not if wearing she's it watching. today. If yeah. I'm watch- oh, oh yes, if she's watching, because yeah. I do want to well, get to yesterday. Issue. Okay. I want to get to yesterday yeah. because we were talking well, about the Nashville Predators. Deal the in-laws deals, the lower bowl, the upper bowl, who would sit where. Yeah, yeah. And I went home and I was like, look, like you were the subject of some controversy on the show. Like, would you be offended? Well, you were the subject of controversy, not her, but let's right. let's make that abundantly right. clear. Okay, so I said, first of all, did you watch it? She said, no, I haven't seen the last half an hour yet. And I said, that's rude, first of all. <laughs> and, and then second of all, I said, would you be offended if me and your dad were sitting in the lower bowl and it was you and your mom in the upper bowl? She said, no, I, I probably wouldn't even go. It's the Nashville Predators. I mean, that, and that was yeah. the that was what I was expecting, yeah, yeah, yeah. right, Kev? She's Isn't that a, the answer you were woman. expecting too? I was expecting something close to that. Uh, I will tell a bit of a different tale, though. <laughs> See, this is, yeah, good. Please. I went home. I said to my wife, "I said, Chelsea, did you watch the show?" She said, "Yes." That's nice. And so, obviously, I said, <laughs> "Last block, did you catch what we said? Upper bowl, lower bowl. Would you be okay with your dad and I going lower bowl?" And she goes. You would put me in the worst seats, and I would. Oh no! I was wrong this entire time. That was the expected. It, here's how it went for me. Yeah. Uh, I texted my mom. I said, "Did you watch the show?" She said, "Who is this?" And then we moved on. <laughs> I said, "Okay, all right. Listen, you already know the deal." Uh, at Tim and Friends on Twitter, that is of course your place to share your opinions as well. If you have thoughts on who was in the right or wrong here between Mickey, Jesse, yeah, and uh, their families, please interact with the show. I do have another question to throw out here today. We'll get to that in a second. Here is what's on tap for the show, though. Kendrick Perkins is going to join it's us in hurt. a bit to talk all things NBA. TFC in the news, by the way, hiring Bob Bradley. I was going to say Bob Marley. Bob Bradley <laughs> has their new manager. We're going to talk to Bradley today as well. Elliot Friedman stops by the top of the hour to discuss the latest going down in the NHL. A busy Busy night across the league. Six Canadian teams in action. 14 games overall. Uh, But more importantly, guys, how are you feeling today in general? Yesterday, big day, both on the show, together, doing this thing. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought we had a really fun day. But that is me being biased. You feeling good? Yeah, no, I said yesterday I thought went pretty well. We'll let the viewers decide. But aside from the Uh, lights being a little bit brighter and it being a little bit hotter in here, like I said yesterday, I thought it went pretty smooth. But Kev, your thoughts? Feeling good? When Timmy's away, the kids will play. We're not kids, though. We're not kids, though. All right. (laughs) Well, I want to get to our question uh, of the day here. And uh, social team, feel free to throw down a line if you'd like to or not. Mac and cheese has been the subject of a lot of conversation across the NFL over the last couple days. Of course, American Thanksgiving tomorrow, talking about food and side dishes, this, that. Matt Mm. Judon calling mac and cheese disgusting, saying it's literally cheese and noodles, which, again, yes, that is a fact. It is just cheese and noodles. 
Falcons head coach Arthur Smith saying, I think there's something wrong with you if you don't like mac and cheese. Now, he wasn't directing it directly to Judon. He was just saying this in general, so I think. And so uh, we'll throw it out to all of you. Mac and cheese, yay or nay, as a side dish or as a meal? Because I got some thoughts as well. But first, Jesse, mac and cheese, yes or no? Yes. Yeah. I, I think I make. I would put my craft dinner up against. No, like I'm not talking. No, see, I'm not talking craft. Oh, you're dinner. talking about like, ho- like homemade from Thanksgiving scratch. style. Yeah. Mac- Who's okay. talking about? Yes. Craft- no. Yes. Same. Yes. Of course. Guys, guys not, not, no brainer. I will take craft dinner. I will take mac and cheese. <laughs> yeah, both. I will take <laughs> yes. all of them. Yes. And I will put them down my gullet. It'll <laughs> be right, delicious. Nice. Well, uh, if you have some thoughts, of course, please let us know at Tim and Friends on the social feeds. We're going to ask our guests, of course. But guys, before we get into anything serious, we need to continue a conversation from yesterday, as we have been, of course, for the first, whatever, five minutes of the show. We haven't got kicked out yet, but it is what it is. Zero sports talk so far. Yeah, well, listen, I'm in charge. This is what's going down. Uh, We're in charge, I should say. I apologize for that. Uh, Jersey talk, guys. Jersey talk, Mickey. Canada jersey, USA jersey. Canada jersey released yesterday for the upcoming hockey tournament. USA jersey released today. Thoughts? Thoughts? Opinions? A lot of a lot of people don't like it. To which I say, it's a jersey. Yeah, I mean that's, that's you know that's the take. That's the proper take. But in today's day and age, you throw out a jersey. It doesn't matter if the jersey's actually nice or not. People are just gonna destroy it. Like this one. I got some thoughts. Here. I feel like the USA one is sort of where jerseys are trending. Like they don't want to have a, a massive logo. They come want to have it like more soccer style. Like instead of big, big soccer, USA right? more, written. Yeah, that's on your, more soccer okay, style, right? And like more of like a Brooklyn Nets sort of like a, a logo in the middle. Yeah, but that's nothing, big soccer vibe. Too big soccer vibe. Big soccer vibe. There. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't have a problem with either of them because frankly, like whoever wins the gold and has the gold around their their <laughs> that's neck, gonna make the jersey look a little exactly. bit better, right? Exactly. So I think where people are gonna have the issue is that Canada on the world stage in sport is best represented by hockey. Therefore, people are wanting the jerseys to look as best as they possibly can. All right. What do you, so we asked everybody, what do you think? <laughs> we put it out on Tim and Friends. Oh, that's going to lead to and some good responses. So it's a lot of, no, I don't like them. But there so were what? some that I wanted to get to. Yeah. And, I, and I like a couple people with suggestions, like Richard Jack Smith here saying that I miss these jerseys. This one in particular looks like it hasn't been washed since it was first right. worn in 1984, <laughs> apparently, at the Spengler Cup. Uh, Steve Blake says, blah, to all of them. Yeah, that's uh, but exactly I, what I liked, it sounds like. But I liked this, too. Nate comes through with these Canada jerseys, and these, for a lot of people, these are the classic ones that everyone really enjoys. Nate continued, and... These ones I love for the, the Americans. I like that. Those I like USA those. jerseys I talk are to you, tight. I want to talk to you guys about economics, okay? And and how old gets new again and where money comes into play. You start bringing back different trends and different iterations of your jersey so you can bring back the ones that people like. If, if you're just keeping the same one year after year after year, everyone's got it already. No one's buying the new gear. You're getting a different jersey out there. Yeah. A couple years, you're throwing it back. You're throwing it back to those favorite ones. That, what was my guy's name? Uh, I forgot. Nate. The, Nate. Nate loved Nate. those two iterations yeah. of those jerseys. So, listen, I saw GQ post Canada's all-black kit as their 18th best menswear item to get this week. I'm seeing an all-black kit in Canada, or a all-black jersey, I should say. Please, hockey purists, don't come at me for that. Um, <laughs> Jeff Merrick's coming for you. I kind of like it. I kind of like different, and uh, I also don't care that much. So, with that said, first things first, <laughs> Mickey, you ready? Let's do it. First things first. First. Okay, so this is a long one. Producer Jay Sands said that this is going to be a long first things first. Yeah, you got to be prepared. We got so the time. Let's go. go. Yeah. yeah, just let me know how I do here. Yeah. <laughs> the NHL is off tomorrow for American Thanksgiving. And as a result, we've got a very busy Wednesday night with 14 games on the schedule, six Canadian teams in action, five of them on Sportsnet. Let's take a look. It all starts with Hockey Central 
at 6.30 Eastern. Then at 7, we've got three games available across the country on Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey. Here we go. Habs and Capitals on Sportsnet East, Ontario on Sportsnet 1. Jets and Blue Jackets on Sportsnet West. The Canucks and Penguins on Sportsnet Pacific and 360. Later tonight, the Oilers are in Arizona and the Leafs visit the Kings. Those games are available regionally at 10 Eastern. And finally, the Sens visits Eric Carlson and the Sharks. And as one Tim McCallop would say, got it good. And since you understood, ooh, ooh. lots happening on the ice tonight. But some of the big storylines will be Pierre-Luc Dubois returning to Columbus for the first time and Jake Muzzin and Jack Campbell officially on the ice in L.A. Phase. Yes. That's those me. returns that I just mentioned. Yes. What, uh, what are you liking more? You know, it takes a lot for me not to lean Leafs in, in one of these arguments. But Leafs, Campbell, Muzzin, they've been back. Dubois hasn't been back. Mm-hmm. We haven't had a clash of these two teams in... Well, it's been January 2020 since they last met. The trade was January 2021. And so, yeah, I feel like there's a little bit more built-up mm. tension for this game. Throwing the fact that Winnipeg's lost three straight. They can't score. It seems over the last few games, like, this feels like the better headline and better appeal when it comes to games today. Am I wrong in saying that, Jesse? I don't think you're wrong. I think that the spice would be – there would be a little bit more to it if Patrick Laine was, was able to play in this game. But, obviously, he's still dealing with injuries. So, that, that's why I would lean – um, towards the Toronto Maple Leafs because I think Jack Campbell really has an opportunity here to go back and, and make a statement in a place where he really developed his career. Like he maybe, you know, he didn't get to where he wanted to get to in L.A., but he was uh, someone who learned under the tutelage of Jonathan Quick and Bill Ranfer, the goalie coach in, in L.A., and he grew there. And now he's coming back as someone who is leading the league in goals against average, leading the league in save percentage. And for Jake Muzzin, he had a ton of really great memories in Los Angeles. So I think uh, it's a, a real homecoming for those two, and I'm excited to, to watch that and to see uh, Dubois back in Columbus as well. There's a whole lot going on um, surrounding Muzzin and Campbell, but I think what a lot of people are going to be thinking about is the deals that Kyle Dubas made to acquire them. Yeah. Are, are these kind of the... Campbell and Muzzin in particular, are those two of the best, if not the best, trades that Kyle Dubas has made? I mean, they're they're probably their two best players at that back end of the team, right? When you ignore the offense, Muzzin is arguably their best defenseman, although this year he's been a little bit uh, a little bit off compared to what we've seen in the past. But Jake Campbell, I mean, Jack Campbell's been unbelievable, right? Yeah. He, he's been world-class, best in the league, uh, goaltending, and again, there was a lot of pressure for Kyle Dubas to acquire a backup goalie, and that's what Jack Campbell came to Toronto as, a mm-hmm. backup goalie, and uh, stole the number one spot. Seems to be riding with it. Uh, I do want to ask Elliot Friedman how many games is too many games at some point when he joins us a little later on in the show, but for now, the Leafs have a good thing and seems to be okay. Yeah, I mean, there's different ways to build a hockey club, and trades doesn't necessarily strike me as the way that, that Kyle Dubas has opted to structure this roster in the past, and, and I do think that moving forward with, with uh, Jack Campbell here, it still remains to be seen if this is qualifies as his best deal because, as everybody knows for the Maple Leafs, you got to get to where they right. want to go. But and you where got, they want you got to a go legitimate starting goalie. You do, you, you do. Got a but legitimate, but, but legitimate they, starting goalie. You know, you know just as well as I do that there will always be critics for Jack Campbell until he gets to the playoffs no, and performs. He, no, 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 no. He performed be. in the playoffs last. It wasn't. Not a it single wasn't his human fault, being win. can look at Jack Campbell and say he was the reason the Leafs blew a 3-1 lead. That, Not you're, you're a right. single person could say that. You are opinion. right, but it doesn't change the fact that they didn't win. So they do need to I win mean, with okay, him fine, as a goalie. But you win when you have good players. He's proven to be better than what every single human being expected when Kyle Dubas acquired him. Again, to back up, back up Freddie Anderson, 
listen, man, that's a, that is a – look, it could be a franchise-changing yeah. move because yeah. you've got a goalie on the low – I would like that's to above. know. That's yeah. at the top, right, right now. So, I don't know. I would like to know if you, you got Kyle Dubas in, in a uh, – if you were asking him and got maybe truth serum and asked him if he ever thought that Jack Campbell could evolve into what – and grow maybe. into what he's become today. Yeah. Because, basically, if you look at the trade, it's a steal, all things considered, when, like you said, he was originally brought here to be a backup for Freddie Anderson. I don't think they were expecting what has what Jack Campbell has become yeah. to be when, the case when they can first we, made the move. Can forward. we put that trade board up one more time just to evaluate the assets yeah, uh, in, I mean, in person? Just, just one more time here because, again, Jack Campbell acquired to come as a backup. And Kyle Clifford is back with the Leafs as well. So what, what yeah. a steal. And, um, I mean, they're saying he's ready to go today. And Sean Dersey was traded in the Jake Muzzin deal. From Toronto to LA is going to make his NHL debut. I mean, he's going to make his NHL debut tonight. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't know. You're looking at that right there. Like, I just don't know how you can possibly look at that deal and say it's not the best trade that Kyle Dubas has made. This is what I'm trying to tell you. Yeah. No, I I understand. I just just think that there will always be Jack Campbell critics, whether it's fair or not. But we can agree that it it most likely is Dubas's best trade. Other members of that Muzzin deal Carl Grundstrom, 25 points in 87 games with LA. Uh, First-round pick that became Thomas Bjornfoot, nine points in 54 games. Not a lot of points. You know who has had a lot of points? Connor McDavid. Yeah. Although, I will say that there is at least one person in here who thought that his point streak may run into the 30-game mark. I mean, look. Faze? Yeah. Your thoughts? Your rebuttal? Because, oh, sorry. uh, Spoiler. It was was Faisal. Yeah, it was me. I said, hey, cool. And then I saw the big graphic on Sportsnet's Instagram. Connor McDavid fails to record a point. It's not your fault, dude. Hey, Faisal, Connor McDavid fails to record a point for the first time. I thought I saw that on the autograph. It's not your fault, man. Come on. Of course it's not my fault, but it's my fault, right? Yeah, no, look. I mean, Justin Bourne said some stuff, too, is all I'm saying. It wasn't just me. But my point was I was wrong, and I'm happy to admit that. (laughs) That's it. I don't know. I was wrong. Look. It's just one game. It is just one game, but he's recorded a point in every single one of them dating back yeah. to you know a few last season and this season why it, not bet on him to do it again because he's that guy it, it made perfect sense that it would yeah. just continue but it also makes perfect sense and you made the point yesterday like what if they get shut out and then they, they didn't get shut out but <laughs> they didn't get shut what out, if they do get shut out games, which is a very right? realistic possibility for an NHL hockey team to get shut out even if you have Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisel so it's not that crazy the point I, I, well, only one night I thought only wrong one predictions came from that yeah. chair but <laughs> things are changing a little bit good, more now good news for McDavid the Oilers they're playing my beer league team tonight, or sorry, the Coyotes. They're yeah. playing the Coyotes tonight, so I'm sure McDavid will break Daryl Sittler's 10 point <laughs> yeah, game. Most likely, gonna have likely. zero points again. Yeah. Go. Um, let's switch gears. Let's go over to baseball. Stephen Matz has reportedly agreed to a four-year deal worth 44 million dollars with the St. Louis Cardinals. According to reports, the Jays offered him a three-year deal. Uh, Jess, you think the Jays should have made the push and made the leap to go to that fourth year? What do we think? No, I don't think so. But I also think it, it remains to be seen um, based on what they do with the rest of the free agents in this market because there are still good pitchers available. And if you aren't able to get any of those pitchers, you might look back on this and say, oh, Steven Matz was there, he was available, and we just didn't want to give him that fourth year. So I still think there is an element here where it remains to be seen. Although, 
the track record on Steven Matz, 2020 was a disaster for him. Yes, mm. he had a, a good year in 2021, but do you really want to bank on the next four years being more like the production of 2021? So I say there are well, still some viable arms out there in free agency, and I think the Blue Jays made the right move here to, to not go the extra mile here for Steven Matz. You do have to replace above average pitching in that rotation yep. now to fill that hole, right? And look, we're, we were kind of mapping out the rotation. You know you have Ryu, you know you have Barrios, and you know you have Manoa, and then after that we've got some questions, right? But um, I, I don't know. Steven Matz looks a little better than the guy at the bottom there. And, and if your window is what the window is, and if we talk about all the money that's going to be committed to Vlad and Bo and Teoscar going forward, yeah, I don't know. May, like maybe you add on that extra year just for the stability and, and the safety you know. But I, I'm, look, I'm not saying I'm mad at the Jays for not doing this. I'm not. I, I, I probably agree that four years is too much. But when your window is maybe not four years, or yes. again, it, it probably is a bit bigger than that with the players you have. But when the contracts are such as where they are right now with the team, uh, I don't know. You got to find you got to find a replacement yeah. arm for him too. Yeah. That's going to cost you some money as well, right? And it, if that's the market trend, sure. are you are you having to commit four years to somebody at lesser ability than Stephen Matz? Yeah. Is all I'm saying. And baseball is a funny sport too, right? Because we don't necessarily know the budget for the Blue Jays. We don't know how much they're willing to put no. in to who they can use in that pitching rotation and use to fill out the roster. So uh, you still have names like Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw, Carlos Rodon. So if the Blue Jays are able to get any one of those guys as a replacement. And maybe, <laughs> they, maybe, they, <laughs> maybe they spend more money. It maybe doesn't have to be someone who's that upper echelon. Maybe it's Kevin Gosman. But it, it remains to be seen because if they go and get one of those guys, then yes, they made the right decision. If they don't, then what do they do with that fifth uh, all, spot? In all, of the, all of right? those guys are multi-year multi-million dollar well, guys too. You know, you know who wants to pony up and pay the big bucks are the New York Mets. Owner Rogers too. Uh, the New York Mets now owned by Steve Cohen. Steve Cohen tweeted out this today. He said, I'm not happy this morning. I've never seen such unprofessional behavior exhibited by a player's agent. I guess words and promises don't matter. So he's referring to, apparently, he thinks that he had a deal with Steven Matz, and then he goes to the Cardinals. But we're seeing a lot of this from Steve Cohen, are we not? Uh, Listen, man, my guy, like, writing on Medium blogs and this and that, and there's been some reporting on this today, and... People talked to Matt's agent saying they had a great meeting. And Cohen said that he expressed his desire to sign with the team. But then his agent just did what an agent is supposed to do and leverage that offer to get a bigger and better one. And you know what? Shout out Stephen Matt's agent. Yeah. Also, yeah. what inconsistent use of periods in that tweet is all I'm <laughs> saying, man. You had one with two spaces before the period. You had a period that had no spaces after it, after the word agent there. And I don't even know. If you were to type another word after matter at the bottom there, this is why I can't trust Steve Cohen, man. He's a hedge fund like, manager, he, not a You can speller. see what that is. That right. is angry tweeting. You yeah. are angry tweeting mm-hmm. when you don't care about the grammar that is relayed in your message in 280 characters or less. You didn't have to fill a character count. You didn't need two spaces between that first period. I don't even know what that was. That would make me embarrassed in itself, let alone sending a tweet like that. Yeah, it's Mets doing Mets things, right? <laughs> they just can't do anything right uh, at the moment. And you got to wonder what kind of culture that fosters for that clubhouse and that organization. Yeah. Like, if I'm a player, man, Money and like, talks, Steve Cohen's, man. like, putting me on blast and stuff, I don't know. I just don't think that I would want to play in a situation where the owner is that vocal publicly. If you have an issue, yeah. then he's got bring deep, it into he's the got clubhouse. He's got deep pockets, but, though, Kevin. Yeah, he's got deep pockets. That's the reality of sports. There's a great culture 
in the NBA with the Toronto Raptors. I will say that the Raptors uh, taking part in the Naismith Cup, or at least what used to be the Naismith Cup, when they take on the Grizzlies, formerly of Vancouver, this evening. OG Ananobi, Preston Shua, Kem Birch, Yuta Watanabe, all listed as questionable. The Raps, 1-3 so far on this current six-game road trip. They've actually lost seven of their last nine. Phase, yo, how are we getting the Raps back on track here? Playing some defense would, would be it. nice. Mm. I, listen, I'm still stunned that a Nick Nurse coach team is this poor defensively so far this season, right? And and so I would just like to see a few adjustments. And I was on uh, the Raptor show today with Will Liu and Alex Wong uh, in the afternoon on Sports of 590 The Fan talking about what would make a good road trip. And they believe three and three. You got the Grizzlies and you got the Pacers. Uh, games that, you know, you could win. Yeah. Show it then. Show it. Come home with some momentum. Come home with some winning uh, confidence and try to get your season back on track after it started so, so well. Do you, do you adjust these expectations if all the dudes that are huh. listed as questionable, like half of them don't play? Like, uh, what if OG I, doesn't if, play again? Listen, today? if you don't have a big man, like, Ken Burch is not there, I got problems. No, Precious yeah. is not yeah. there, I got problems. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. They, they got an 8 o'clock game today, I think, so uh, I'll, I'll temper my expectations until then and see who's in the lineup and not. Scotty Barnes has also uh, hit a bit of a rookie wall since sure, we compared him to LeBron James. So well, we can take the credit <laughs> yeah. for, for that. But uh, Scotty will bounce yeah. back. And this is the defense. You're bang on about the defense. Opponents are averaging 110 per game over the last 10. Not good. That's not good enough. No, not good enough. Flat so out. We'll see what the Raptors come up with energy-wise tonight and defensively tonight as well. All right, still to come, Elliot Friedman ahead of a jam-packed night on Here the ice. TFC's new sporting director and head coach, Bob Bradley. He joins us as well. Up next, though. All Things Hoops with Kendrick Big Perkins. Perk. What a show we've got. Tim and friends. Let's go. Let's go. Jack Campbell's been a star this season. He's really settled in here in Toronto as the number one goalie. Big save, rebound! And another save made by Campbell! Put some more broth in that soup! It's just a complete game by the boys. It's a special group to be a part of. The return of the voice of college basketball, Dick Vitale. I can't believe I'm sitting here. This is really a big thrill for me. It's Hawker with another stop. He has been the man. Look at that move! Oh, oh, Chet Holmgren, are you serious? Wow! We're talking to Diaper Daddy. That's ridiculous. Oh, that's unbelievable. Unbelievable. I would simply say he's awesome, baby, with a capital A. Hey, welcome back to Tim and Friends. And we are joined now by one of the most entertaining NBA analysts in the game, the big man himself, Big Perk, Kendrick Perkins. What's going on, Perk? How you doing? What's happening? What's happening, fellas? I appreciate y'all having me on. Of course. Happy Thanksgiving to y'all, too. Of course, yes. So, <laughs> so that's the first back, question. Right? That's the first question for you. Thanksgiving coming up on Thursday. We've been debating already early in the show here. Is mac and cheese something that makes its way onto your Thanksgiving table? Ooh, don't talk about Thanksgiving. Look, you don't understand. How much <laughs> That's this is my favorite. Look, my favorite <laughs> holiday of the year is Thanksgiving, and, and yes, mac and cheese is a must. You gotta have that on the stove. You gotta have that on your plate. And I need the 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 crispy top, the yes. one that you gotta cut a use a knife. Yes, yeah, you gotta almost cut it like a cake. I need that one. You know what I mean? <laughs> Last layer needs to be broiled and topped with some breadcrumbs like bread so there's crumbs, a crisp yeah. in there. Listen, I got a follow-up then. What else is on the Perkins Thanksgiving mm. spread? Like, what is the go-to? Mm-hmm. Well, look, I'm not, I'm not a ham guy, okay? So it's a lot of turkey, okay? I'm going to do a fried turkey with something that we do in the South. I'm going to do 
I'ma have smoked turkey, I'ma have baked turkey, but I'ma have cornbread dressing, rice dressing, you know, I'ma have green beans, candy yams, I'ma have all that, and I'ma have that same exact plate five times, okay? <laughs> five times a minimum. Minimum. The Booker T of Thanksgiving plates. They just <laughs> five times. That's so good. That's amazing. Listen, bro, we gotta talk basketball with you. I wanna start. With the LeBron James angle, and I got a, we got a couple ways mm. that we want to go here. Mm. Uh, there's a lot about LeBron James. First, LeBron James suspended. Were you surprised the NBA suspended LeBron James, especially ahead of a MSG game against the Knicks? Uh, you know what? No, I wasn't surprised. I mean, anytime it's contact to the face, whether or not it was inadvertent uh, on purpose or not, I think, you know, Adam Silver had to suspend LeBron for one game to kind of send a message that, you know that it don't matter who you are. If this type of thing happens, you're going to suffer some consequences, which is suspensions and fines, right? But, you know, I think it was fair for both parties. I think, you know, a, a two-game suspension for Isaiah Stewart was fair. Same with LeBron James. He deserved it. So it, it led to some conversations about people fearing or not fearing LeBron James. Listen, if I'm an 18-year-old, 19-year-old guy that's drafted from college or later on in high school and see LeBron James on the other side, respectfully, I'm throwing up, Mm. right? The idea that LeBron James isn't feared (laughs) seems baffling to me, right? No, listen, this is what people have to realize, right? When you look at a guy, take Isaiah Stewart, for example, because it happened with him and LeBron James. Isaiah Stewart, I believe, at Washington won freshman of the year, coming out of high school, was highly recruited. You have to you have to realize uh, all the guys from the 15th man on the bench was that guy in the man, the man at some point of his career at a lower level other than in the NBA. So you, you have dealt with going up against people. You've overcome fear. No guy in the NBA has fear. So at the end of the day, you strap up your shoes like I strap up my shoes. It don't matter what role you mm-hmm. is. When you get between those lines, it's all about getting a win and by any means necessary. So, you know, Isaiah Stewart, listen, this is not his first roller coaster, okay? People think this was his first incident. I remember last year uh, seeing a story and watching a game where he charged up Giannis Antetokounmpo and his brother out uh, after the game and was waiting for him by the locker room. Look, anytime a guy has veins popping out of his ears, you might want to stay far away from him, okay? He want all the smoke. Just just so happen it's, it's basketball. It's not MMA. Yeah, it's great perspective. Um, so the Lakers lose again. And I want to get your take on what you think is going on with the Lakers. Obviously, mm-hmm. LeBron was suspended. We got that. But even when he's in the lineup, it hasn't been working the way I think most Laker fans and a lot of people around the NBA thought it was going to be working. Offensively, the Lakers play my turn basketball. And when you see a guy like Malik Monk, who's supposed to be a role player, tries to come down in the half-court set and create his own shot, you know you have a problem. (laughs) Defensively, it's no excuse for them not to be locked in. Like a veteran team... Forget the athleticism and all that at the wing position. That don't matter at this point. Like, they should be able to lock in and be able to rotate, be able to communicate and get through things and and get stops when need be. You know, right now, the Lakers are like, you know, a broken refrigerator. They can't keep nothing cold. 
okay? And that's the problem. Everybody want to point the finger at Frank Vogel. He's not doing this. No, it's the guys that are on the court who's not doing their job. When Russell Westbrook starts to get into the ball and starts getting over ball screens, when Carmelo Anthony stops getting picked on and picking rolls, then that's when the Lakers are going to start hitting their stride and start playing winning basketball. Until then, they're going to continue to struggle. But, Perk, can some of those things change? Like, Russell Westbrook's a veteran. Carmelo Anthony is a veteran. And teams have identified them as liabilities on the other end of the court and are going at them because they've planned against that. Can some of that stuff change at this point of people's careers? Yes, it can. It's, look, it starts up here, okay? It's the mental mindset. And right now, the Lakers are in their own way. And I say that because, you know, the commercials, okay? Everything that's happening outside the court. People have to realize that playing for the Los Angeles Lakers is so many distractions in L.A., you know, so many business ventures, so many opportunities. Well, now Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, Carmelo, Dwight Howard, all those guys need to put that aside until the season is over with and lock in into the game of basketball that's won between the lines. And if they do that, they'll be perfectly fine. They have the personnel. You can't tell me that Alex Caruso is more athletic than Russell Westbrook. And he's not. So when, why I say that is because if Alex Caruso could go out there and lead the league in steals and defend at a high level, Russell Westbrook could do the same. Anthony Davis, this guy's a guy we talk about every single year that's a defensive player of the year candidate. He hasn't played like it. He has to embrace playing the center position. Not forced to play it, but he has to embrace it with open arms, and then the Lakers can be a better team. I want to talk about another California team. So the Golden State Warriors are 15-2 on the year. Steph Curry's averaging five and a half, almost threes a game. Perk, they don't even have Clay back yet. So did we forget how good the Golden State Warriors can be when Steph's at the top of his game? I didn't. I had them pick to go to the Western <laughs> Conference. But I did. I had them pick to go to the Western Conference Finals this year. And the reason being is because you have a group of veterans that have been there, right? And Andre Iguodala, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, even Klay Thompson, just his presence on the bench. And when you could add those vets with a mixture of young talent that got a high IQ that's willing to learn, like a Poole, a Jordan Poole, a Andrew Wiggins, a Damian Lee. The list goes on. And then you have culture. Culture. The coaching staff, for example, Steve Kerr, Ron Adams, who's the best defensive coach in the NBA in my eyes. Well, he might be tied with Tom Thibodeau, but he's right there with him. You, it's 1A1B. And then you have Mike Brown. You have these guys getting put in position to be successful where they don't have to do everything because they have veterans. They have the greatest shooter of all time. They arguably have a guy that's going to go down as the top 10 player of all time as well as Steph Curry. So when you have that combination and leadership of Draymond Green, it's, it shouldn't be surprising to nobody. I want to talk about the Grizzlies as well. They play the Raptors tonight, but, of course, Memphis featuring John Morant, who's just as fun as they get in terms of NBA talent right now, okay? It led to you tweeting that maybe, just maybe, there's some regret in the Pelicans' part for going Zion over John. We know how good Zion is when healthy. The problem is he's not healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, you stand by that take? 
Perk, that jaw greater than Zion right now? Yes. And I, and I said that the night that both of those guys were drafted, I said if I was the, in the Pelicans organization, I would highly consider drafting John Morant, John Morant with the number one pick. Look, this kid is a generational talent, okay? I believe he has the athleticism of a Russell Westbrook. He has the ball handling and charisma and, and craftiness of a Kyrie Irving. And he has the passing ability and IQ of a Rajon Rondo and the leadership. And when you have a guy like John Morant, you can't keep passing up a guy. And he's he's available. That's the next thing. He's available. We don't know when Zion is going to be back. It was so many question marks about Zion coming into the NBA. And still to this day, we still have those same questions about him. So, no, I'm not taking that back. I didn't, I'm not taking it back when I said it on draft night, and I'm standing on it when I said it about a month ago. I would have took John Morant with the number one pick. Perk, appreciate it. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours, man. Enjoy Thanks the mac and cheese. Yeah, I, same to you guys. This is going to definitely be a happy one. <laughs> See ya. Uh, after being named TFC Sporting Director and Head Coach today, we got Bob Bradley coming up, joining us to discuss how he plans to turn things around, a uh, legend of the game, next on Tim and Friends. I'm, I'm lucky. I know more than anyone. Um, how good my dad is. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Big news today. Toronto FC naming Bob Bradley head coach and sporting director. Bradley bringing with him an incredible resume in club and international soccer. He joins us now. Bob, thank you so much for doing this on such a big day for you. Thanks, guys. Glad to be here. Listen, we like to involve our guests, whether they're new hires or just friends of the show from the past, on what we've been talking about in the show. So we're, of course, talking about Thanksgiving in the States and Mm -hmm. a happy one to you and yours uh, with your American heritage and that Thanksgiving. Even though you are one of us now, one of us, one of us, um, mac and cheese as a Thanksgiving side dish, yes or no? Uh, In my house, no. Okay, fair. Fair. Just a flat no. Just a flat yeah. no. Straight to the point. We don't have that here. Uh, listen, congratulations uh, on the job. Uh, a lot of excitement, of course, reigning over TFC fans today after a, a couple tumultuous years. What convinced you to want to take this project on? Uh, I love the club. I love the connection with the city. Uh, I had some uh, great conversations, Bill Manning, and, and especially with Mr. Tannenbaum. And when he talks about the city, when he talks about the Leafs, when he talks about the Raptors, when he talks about the Argos, and mostly when he talks about TFC and what it means to him, uh, I just appreciate uh, the passion. And and for me, uh, Toronto, uh, there's so much going on football-wise right now. Um, There's young players coming through, playing for Canada. Obviously, the women were also with the, the Gold Cup and the Olympics. And uh, I, I, I just see the game growing in leaps and bounds. And I certainly understand everything that's gone on at TFC in the last eight years. I've watched every game many, many times. <laughs> so, uh, Bob, the, the title is head coach and sporting director. Now, how important was it for you to also get the title of sporting director so you could sort of shape this franchise the way you want to? 
Uh, very important because I think we want to make sure that there's a way of playing and a philosophy, uh, an identity, and it's carried from the first team into the second team and through the academy. And uh, I know that there's some incredible young talent um, coming through in Canada and in this area. Uh, look at the year that a player like Tejan Buchanan has had uh, uh, for New England. And so our ability to make sure that we are doing all the right things, we are finding the right young players. Um, I think there's some really good young talent uh, in in uh, TFC already, but now developing those players, moving them along, making sure that that uh, they're getting first team uh, training, first team experience. I think that's the key. There are also a couple veterans on this team. I mean, you know one very well, but a couple others <laughs> that have been part of, of the glory years of this team. You know, this team had such incredible highs, capped off by a couple seasons of, of incredible lows. So what's your honest assessment on the makeup of this team and its level of competitiveness in MLS right now? Uh, it's a really important question. Um, of course, there's tremendous respect for all the players that have been here and, and the accomplishments, what they've done on the field. Uh, you want to make sure your history always counts. Um, but at the same time, there's got to be a really clear idea of how committed does each player remain uh, and, and are they ready to be open to some new ideas, uh, being coached, being pushed, uh, so that, that we can continue to uh, set the bar as high as possible. So, uh, Bob, if our info is correct, this will be the sixth country that you will have coached in, which is obviously a ton of experience. So how do you leverage that experience when coming to a new organization like this? Uh, I take the experiences that I've had in every country um, and mostly the experiences that I've had working with different players. I've been incredibly fortunate. Uh, you know, in MLS in Chicago uh, in the early years, working with Peter Novak, Lubos Kubik, Christos Deutschkoff, uh, at Metro Stars, Yuri Jerkaev. Uh, I've worked with some really top young American players that, that moved on and have had great careers. Uh, and then when I've gone overseas, uh, I mean, look, when I, when I got to Egypt, seeing a young Mo Salah and, and moving him into the national team in Egypt and then helping him um, with the opportunity to go to FC Basel. I take all those experiences and then I think about how to try to connect as many of those dots here uh, in Toronto. Uh, the starting point is always how do you engage the players every day? What kind of culture do you have? Uh, what kind of training? And, and is there a real clear picture of how we can all work together for the players to grow and, and to build a, a super team? As a Manchester United fan, I'd like to, well, not appreciate your Mo Salah <laughs> development because uh, he's doing damage against uh, my team in the Premier League, of course. You, you mentioned the word culture, and there is a huge, huge soccer one in Toronto. You know that, of course, from having watched Michael be it from afar or in person. What do you imagine that first night at BMO Field will be like with you on the touch? Uh I know the support. I know the fans. I know the connection between the, the club uh, and the supporters. And, and I want to make sure that that just gets uh, taken to the best level, that every time we step on the field, uh, we represent those supporters. We, we give them football and we give them mentality and we give them the heart and the soul that they all deserve. What kind of expectations do you go into 
day one with. Obviously, this is a franchise that has experienced success in the past, but there's also been a lot of lean years. So when you go into day one of working, which is today, what are your expectations for the franchise moving forward? Uh, my expectations are always to try to create the best poss possible culture, to try to make sure that uh, I can find a way to engage everybody around me every day about how we need to talk about things, look mm -hmm. at things, how we all must work together um, so that there's a feeling that we're part of, of something that's bigger than all of us. That, that's what the best clubs do. And, you know, I, I do try to always take from uh, the way the best clubs operate, little things that they do in terms of uh, the style of play, the game model, uh, the connection with the supporters. You want, you want supporters to feel that they can't wait to get to the stadium. They care about the team. They love the way the team plays. And uh, there are players that, young players that are developing right in front of their eyes. They're excited about that. They're stars that, that bring them out of their seats. So this package that you need to, to try to get right to keep everybody going is, is what I think about from day one. I want to talk about a couple of players. Before your introduction, we heard from Jonathan Osorio, we heard from Richie Larea, a couple of guys on the Canadian national team as well. And I imagine your philosophy kind of is similar to what they were saying as well, you know, talking about opportunities elsewhere, bigger and better. I imagine that's similar to what you want in your players, you know, desire to work hard now so that bigger and better comes along at some point, right? That's spot on. Uh, I think when you work with a player, your, your starting point is that you care about them, that you're trying to help them, help them improve, uh, push them forward in their careers. Uh, obviously, one of the things that those two have already achieved is that they're on the national team, but you want to develop guys and, and see if they can get to the national team. Uh, I'm so excited to work with Richie and Jonathan because if things continue the way they're going and qualifying, then Canada's going to be in the World Cup mm -hmm. next year. And I would love it if the work that, that I can do with these guys uh, starting in January helps push them and, and gets them in their best form by the time Canada gets to uh, Qatar. So obviously this isn't the first time that you'll be coaching your son, Michael, but what does that, what does that feel like for you to have father-son on the same side? Uh, we've shared incredible moments in the game. Uh, those, those are special to both of us. In this moment, what I really look forward to is the fact that I've not coached him for a long time. And I, I try to, to, to go in to work with any player to say, how can I still open up their mind? How can I challenge them? How can I make them better? And I know how committed he is. He, he still wants to be the best player he can be. He still thinks that there's a big upside. And so I look forward to finding the right ways to coach him, just like I will do with every other player, uh, and see if we can push him uh, um, to, to have his best season yet uh, as we move forward. You don't need me to tell you this, but he is beloved in that field, no in this city, of course. And I don't imagine it'll be too long before you are as well. Bob, listen, congratulations on the job. We're all looking forward to seeing you on the sidelines, and hopefully we can chat through the season. I look forward to it. Thank you very much. How about some Champions League? Man City, PSG, both clubs, of course, trying to lock in top spot in Group A. City up by a point on PSG. 50th minute, Leo Messi. Send it across to Kylian Mbappe. Scores his 29th career Champions League goal in just his 50th match. 1-0. PSG. 63rd minute. Kyle Walker's pass falls to Raheem Sterling. 
manages to sneak it inside the post. This game level at one. The fans, of course, mm. loving it. PSG looking to answer. Ball played ahead to Neymar. Neymar gets by the defenders. Shot goes wide. That looked like it was in from that. Yeah, it was not. Back home City, 76. Bernardo Silva, touch pass to Gabriel Jesus. He scores, and that is your winner. Bernardo Silva, man of the match, by the way. City qualify for the knockout stage. They win Group A. Messi's like, eh, I'm still Leo Messi. 2-1. Is that fine? She's my house. How's this? All right, time for a break. When we come back, we head to the rinks in L.A. and Washington, joined by Elliot Friedman. And could the NHL pull out of the Olympics? And could we see the league back in Quebec soon? Lots to discuss with Fridge next on Tim and Friends without Tim. Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. No Tim McAuliffe, but still real sports doc. I don't know. Yeah. Thank you, Sheepdog, Chilling by the somewhere. way. Hey, we're here for another half hour here on Tim and Friends. He deserves it. I'm Faisal Kamisa alongside Jess Rubinoff and Kevin Mickey. Of course, Tim, enjoying some time off. Elliot Friedman will join us in a hot sec ahead of another busy night on the ice. Scotiabank Wednesday night hockey getting going. Mm. In a little under half an hour at 6.30 Eastern time. All right, six Canadian teams in action tonight. The NHL has a full slate ahead of a dark night tomorrow on U.S. Thanksgiving. We've got the Habs. They got Jake Allen back in net facing Ovi and the Capitals on Sportsnet East, Ontario and Sportsnet 1. Pierre-Luc Dubois meeting his former team in Columbus. Jets, Jackets, that's on Sportsnet West. Canucks, five-game road trip starts tonight in Pittsburgh. That's on Sportsnet 360. Oilers, Coyotes in Edmonton for the Edmonton viewers in that region. Only Leafs and Kings in the Toronto viewing region tonight. The Sens will face the Sharks as well. Extremely, extremely busy night. Yeah. Uh, now we're going to go to uh, the man who draws all the very tough, difficult assignments. Hall of Fame last week. Now in L.A. with the Leafs, we bring in Sean McKenzie. Sean, uh, what's going on? First of all, how's the weather? Because uh, we're jealous here. It's pretty, pretty chilly here. Well, guys, to be honest, when the assignment came and they told me <laughs> that, hey, just when it's getting dark and gloomy and cold in Ontario and in Toronto, you uh-huh. have to go to California for a week. And I said, Darn. really, guys, you're going to give me this assignment? Um, but, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> sunny, 22 degrees. It's, it's beautiful. Um, but it, all kidding aside, it, it, it's good to be back here because it's been a long time since we've been in this building, especially with the Leafs. Obviously, it was pre-COVID, and it was in that game that Jack Campbell was backing up Frederick Anderson and Jake Muzzin was unavailable to play. So tonight actually marks the first time that those two will return to this building. And they talked a lot over the last couple of days about how, yes, it's been a long time since they were members of the Kings, But it's going to be special nonetheless. Uh, It's going to be an emotional night for them, especially for Jack Campbell, who said that playing the Kings at home just a few weeks ago was a really special moment for him. It was emotional. So he thinks that'll take some of the edge off. But he said, nonetheless, it'll be an exciting and emotional night for a guy that started his career here, really kind of got it going underneath Jonathan Quick, and now becomes the starting goalie that he always said he expected himself to be when he was backing up here in L.A. Yeah, Sean, uh, you're around the Leafs, and uh, things got off to a bit of a rocky start 
to start the year, but now they've won 11 of 13 and things are, are going swimmingly. So what's the vibe like around the t- team these days, knowing that they've sort of turned the corner here and it's full steam ahead? It's calm. And I was talking to people this morning saying it's crazy the difference a month can make because exactly one month ago it was the Sunday after that loss to the Pittsburgh Penguins where the sky was falling, everyone was freaking out. They went into Carolina, they lost, and they went into Chicago. And that felt like a game that if they didn't win, people were saying changes had to happen. Is someone going to get fired? Do they have to make a trade? It was panic, and now everything is level and calm, and rightfully so, because not only are they winning, but you look at the way they are winning. I know last year there was lots of talk about them being a great in the regular season, but there was little hints of you know what we saw in the playoff. You know, you watch that Amazon documentary, and Sheldon Keefe was always kind of nitpicking: you got to be harder, you got to be tighter, you got to be more defensive. And you look at what they've done lately, and they've given up the fifth fewest goals in the National Hockey League. They're not scoring at a prolific rate, but they don't have to because they're keeping them out of their goal. So I think that's a a bit of a different twist for the Leafs. Uh, I think if you're a Leafs fan, you have to look at it and go, that's the way you want to win. Not 5-4, not 6-4 games. You know, games like in uh, Long Island when they won 3-0 and were stingy. And of course, having Jack Campbell lights out doesn't hurt. Hey, Sean, listen, um, try not to get a sunburn. We appreciate your time, man. (laughs) For you guys, uh, I can't promise anything. <laughs> cool, See you, Sean. Cool. All right, up next, let's go to Washington. Yesterday, Kyle Bukowskis joining us from his hotel room today on business. We get him from the rink ahead of Habs and Capitals. And, Kyle, plenty of roster questions around the struggling Montreal Canadiens team. What is the latest with regards to them? Well, Faisal, some educated guesses anyways. You know, Cedric Paquetti said he's ready to return. He's missed the last six games with an undisclosed injury. He skated here this morning. Dominic Ducharme said, you know, kind of use warm-up to decide who's going to be in, who's going to be out. It looks like Pizzetta will be a scratch here tonight. All signs point towards Paquette coming in. It also appears just from the optional skate here earlier this morning that Sammy Niku will draw in for Matthias Norlander. That appears to be just more of a coaching decision more than anything else. But uh, the big certainty, of course, you alluded to it earlier, is the return of Jake Allen back after missing a week and a half that collision with Dylan Larkin in Detroit feeling better clear to play earlier this week and he was someone who was on a bit of a run in terms of just putting together some more quality starts here in those couple leading up to the injury against the Red Wings so we'll see how long it takes for him to settle back into that rhythm again here tonight against Ovechkin and the Caps. Kyle uh, I just want to thank you before we let you go back to back days I know that's tough you're carrying us here so I appreciate the time and uh, we'll chat soon okay. Yeah, back's getting a little sore here, but always <laughs> right, a pleasure. Right, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. Days. All right, see you, buddy. Um, okay, now time uh, for 3 of 32 with Elliot Friedman. 3 of 32 brought to you by the first ever GMC AT4 lineup. Frege, uh, first of all, thank you for doing this. Um, I do have to say, and despite no Tim, by the way, sort of the theme that's been going on in the show today, it's American Thanksgiving yep. on Thursday, tomorrow, and we've been asking all the guests on the show if they're fans of mac and cheese with the Thanksgiving dinner. So, in general, are, are you a mac and cheese kind of person? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. And anybody yeah. who doesn't like mac and cheese does not have an opinion Preach. to be paid attention to. <laughs> Preach. Preach. By the way, was, was Kyle wearing a turtleneck there? Yeah, no, it was, he was very wearing a sweater. casual. He was wearing just a sweater. Just, yeah. just a sweater. Tell him you've got to have a neck to wear a turtleneck. <laughs> <laughs> it was casual. Sean was pretty casual, too. It's just yeah. casual Wednesday, I guess. Yeah, listen, uh, all the way around. We know things have changed. Some, somewhat in these parts. Listen, Elliot, we always appreciate uh, your time. I want to get right into it because there's a lot to discuss mm-hmm. and uh, we appreciate the limited time we always have you for. Uh, NHL Olympics, what's yeah. the latest with regards to players and uh, a potential 
China situation? Well, you know, Faisal, honestly, the, the grumbling is growing. There, there's no question about that. And, and, you know, considering we still have more than two months until puck drop at the Olympics, um, I think there's going to be a lot of this. And one of the things that's definitely happening is that teams are starting to be understand like what the significance is of if a player tests positive at the Olympics. And um, the, the, the official playbook isn't out yet, but you know they're being warned about the possibility of three-week quarantines if you test positive, right? Yeah. And you know I, I think that that's making some teams are starting to realize that and it's making them nervous. And I think for a lot of teams in the past, um, leading up to this, it was kind of in the background. They didn't really think about it very much. Well, now we've had three games postponed. We've had some teams, including San Jose and the Islanders right now, that are having COVID going through them. Um, you know, there's the fact that you're going to be in Vegas right before you go to the Olympics. All of this stuff is making uh, people very nervous. And, you know, Sidney Crosby was in Toronto last weekend. He said, look, I'm still preparing as if I'm going to go. And I think... You do not underestimate how important this is to the players. Do not underestimate that at all. And this is very meaningful to them. But I, I do think that the teams are starting to grumble a lot more about it. And, you know, with the talk of potentially, and right now they're, they're talking about it being a diplomatic boycott, mm. I think that's only going to increase the pressure and the questions um, on everybody until... The situation is resolved to everyone's satisfaction, if it even is. Mm -hmm. Fried, you mentioned the Islanders there, and obviously they've been dealing with a ton of COVID issues. The Ottawa Senators eventually saw their games postponed. Are we getting to a point here with the Islanders where, similar to the Senators, the integrity of the game sort of being compromised? Is the NHL looking into possibly postponing any of the Islanders' games? To this point, no, Jesse. But, you know, it's one of the questions that I ask a lot. And, I, I you know, fortunately there are some people who actually – D decide to answer my questions but <laughs> it, it comes down to one of the questions you ask a lot is okay what's the difference between this situation and that situation and I know there's a lot of Islanders fans right now or even hockey fans in general and they're sitting here and saying wait a sec how come the Sanders got cancelled and the Islanders haven't been or postponed and the Islanders haven't been how come the Sanders had postponed games and the Sharks for example didn't and the one thing I heard about the Senators is they felt that they lost control of that situation in the sense that right now, if you're vaccinated and everybody but one person is, as far as we know, you get tested every three days. When there's a positive test, that changes and everybody gets tested every day. And despite that, the Senators felt they couldn't control or the, the doctors felt they couldn't control what was happening with the Senators. Now, in addition, there was, there was a problem with the Sanders and that they had a bunch of false positives, but they just felt that they lost control of the virus when it came to Ottawa. For, they just don't feel that that's happened with the Islanders. And I know that that answer is not going to satisfy everyone, but as far as I understand right now, as we're talking just after 6 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, they felt that there was better control of the situation in New York than there was in Ottawa and that's why there haven't been postponements. One can only hope that is true, given what we know, of course, of this virus, Elliot. Um, with regards to Quebec, they, they've been in the news a little bit, the province. And depending on who you ask, there are different meetings set up for future conversations. Obviously, Quebec leadership meeting with the NHL. The NHL saying there's no plans for future talks. Are there or not? 
Uh, Jeff Merrick reported on the weekend, uh, Faisal, that there was a phone conversation, but there's no plans for anything more. The, the, the thing I don't like about this story is, number one, I don't like political stunts in general. Mm -hmm. And number two, you know, there's, there's a lot of really great hockey fans in, in the Quebec and Quebec City who'd love to see the Nordiques come back. And all they do is get jerked around yeah, whenever yeah. this comes up, and it's not real. I just don't think the NHL is looking to do this at this point in time. You know, could it, could it happen somewhere down the road? Sure, possibly. I've always wondered about the effect uh, that would have on the Montreal Canadiens. I don't think that would be small. Um, and that's a, that's a factor, too. But th this point in time, based on what Jeff reported last weekend, what I've heard, there's been a phone call, but I'm not expecting anywhere, anything else. And I would hate to see people get their hopes up when I don't think yet there's there's reason to be all right so Fridge, it looks like the Fenway Sports Group is in the process of buying the Pittsburgh Penguins yep. is this sort of the way ownership is going to go in the future like are we done seeing the days of sort of one family owning a team is it going to be more of this sort of structure where it's an organization that owns a bunch of different teams because let's face it it's expensive now right yeah it is I mean there's still there's always going to be some families who surpass it like the Rooney's owning mm -hmm. the Steelers in Pittsburgh and you know I think it would take an awful lot for that to change um, but I think in this particular situation Jesse what I was told last weekend is, and, and, and we reported that before Fenway Sports Group went to the Penguins, they approached Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment and asked about a merger. Mm. And that would have been a massive, massive company. And MLSC said it was the wrong time for them at that point, and uh, it just didn't go anywhere. But what a, people I know who do work in the banking industry and therefore are a lot smarter than the three of us combined, <laughs> they say this is not over, this is where we're going, and maybe Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment said no then, but they're going to be asked again. And what they think is going to happen here is, is that Fenway Sports Group, and they think they're aggressive. They're going to do even more should they complete, and we expect they will complete the Penguin sale. They're going to have the Penguins. They're going to have the Red Sox. They're going to have Liverpool. Huge. And they think it's going to be about content streaming. Yeah. And, like, the regional sports network in the States is in big trouble. So what they think they're going to do is these are all content plays. You're going to go online, you're going to punch up your Fenway Sports app or whatever it is, and you're going to watch and, and see content from all of those teams. And people do think that's where we're going, and that's where ownership is headed. I mean, I read today LeBron James, who is part owner of Fenway Sports Group, uh, making content for Liverpool and collaborating with them already. So that's not surprising when you say that that is the way of the future for each. So... Well, you know what, Faisal, if he was wearing a camera the other night in Detroit, how many times do you think that would have been watched? <laughs> the I mean, listen, we had that, the TV cameras, and yeah. I watched it about 100 times because it was so compelling in itself. There, there are some compelling hockey stories in itself. Elliot, maybe we'll shoot to maybe yeah. one or two before. We're all business with Elliot We, we so let far. you go yeah. in the next minute. Jack Campbell getting set to start against his former club. I just have the question of how many games is too many games for a goalie, given what we know now about athletes and their bodies. Mm. Oh, I, I think Toronto's thought about that yeah. a lot. And, you know, Wall gave them a big win the other night. Like, that was, that was huge for them in, in New York, which has not always been a place they've played very well. Um, that, that buys you a little bit, right? I do think they've looked at Campbell and said, uh, you know, how much is too much? I wonder if Wall has made them a little bit more mm -hmm. comfortable because the thing with Mrazek is his history is you kind of have to deal with this, right? So I think that wall shutout goes a long way. I wonder if he gets or someone else gets one of the two starts on the weekend.
Preach, uh, first of all, thank you for, for doing this for us. I know it's, it's different with no Tim. Um, have a good show tonight and fire up the, the mac and cheese later tonight. Like Just because we're not celebrating Thanksgiving on Thursday doesn't mean that you can't fire it up, right? The biggest difference between you two and Tim was that this time good questions got out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come we, on. Know, we appreciate no, you, man. That's fake news. Thanks, that's Elliot. News. All right, guys, have a great See night. See you, Elliot. Uh, okay, time for one last break. We'll get to last call with Kev, Kevin, Mickey, and get you to Hockey Central. It's coming up here on Tim and Friends. No Tim. We're still trying to figure out what exactly the name is going to be for the next week and a half, but whatever. Welcome back. Last call is coming up. Our first Canada's Davis Cup campaign set to get started tomorrow. They take on Sweden in Madrid. You can see all the action starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 Pacific on Sportsnet. Everyone seems to get better jobs than us. Arash Madani <laughs> is in Madrid covering the event. He provides us with a preview. Arash. Well, Faisal, opening ceremony rehearsals underway here in Madrid. And honestly, if this Davis Cup were a knife fight, Canada's coming into this thing with a spoon. Look, it's easy to point fingers at Felix and Chapeau for not being here. But the short-sightedness of the tennis establishment trying to squeeze every last penny is actually destroying this event from within. It was two years ago today that Nadal and Spain won this entire thing. They beat Canada on Championship Sunday after that awesome, memorable, magic carpet ride of a 10-day run. November 24th, 2019, that happened. Two years later, to the day, this event hasn't even started yet. So the ask to the players is, keep your year going until December 6th, then maybe you'll get a week off to rest the mind and body before a shortened training camp to get yourself ready for an 11-month season next year on tour. It's just ridiculous. There are fewer global stars here than two years ago. It's becoming evident why that is. And yet, amidst what's happening before everyone's very eyes, those on the governing bodies around the tennis world continue to operate as if nothing is wrong at all. Meanwhile, interest is down, viewership is dropping, and it won't be long before Federer and Nadal are gone for good. Then what happens? Uh, they move these finals to Madrid with the false pretense of growing the game. In reality, it was nothing more than a cash grab. And that was further evidenced today by a report that surfaced that these Davis Cup finals may now move to Abu Dhabi for the next five years. Take the money and run, right? In reality, it's a shame that Shapovalov and Oje Aliassime aren't here this week because Canada would have had as good a shot as ever to finally lift the Davis Cup trophy and make history for the new tennis superpower that our country has absolutely shown to be. But don't let the opt-out of Felix and Dennis be the narrative here. The real point, it's more obvious than ever before that if those running the business of the game don't get their act together and fast, the shine of one of the most prestigious trophies in the world of sport will soon be gone for good. Thanks, Arash. I saw bringing heat. Yeah, he brought it. <laughs> Time for a last call here on Tim and Friends. My last call of this week as well. Kevin, make you what up? If you weren't interested in the Davis Cup before, you are. <laughs> you are now, no doubt. Holy moly, that was incredible from Arash. Uh, also incredible last night. This is so good. Legendary college basketball analyst Dick Vitale. He has been working this year while he's been undergoing cancer treatment. Last night, made an awesome return to the booth as number one Gonzaga took on number two UCLA. And Dickie V got a little emotional. Freddie Payton here, Dave. I didn't want to cry. 
I can't believe I'm sitting here. This is really a big thrill for me. I want to thank all you people. Send me so many great messages. ESPN, Jimmy Pataro, all my buddies in ESPN. I want to thank certainly my family and all the fans. My, you've been unbelievable. On October 12th, OB, I'll be honest with you, when they walked in and told me I had cancer, they thought it was mild lung cancer. And it was really going to be a serious surgery and all. I never dreamt at 82 that I'll ever be on courtside again. But to be here today, I'm sorry. I hope I don't cause a problem out there, but I, I feel so emotional. Don't apologize for anything. Well, and the game is the big thing. Well, let's get this game going. <laughs> Talk some basketball, You're the best. really. Yeah, tugs and at the strings. Incredible. Tugs Abs- the absolutely that's incredible. Great. I mean, how great was it to see Dickie V back where he belongs, Jess? Yeah, I mean, that thats that was incredible. There's not much to say about it other than the fact that what made it even cooler for me was watching Dickie V do what Dickie V does best, and that is gushing over Gonzaga freshman Chet Holmgren. Have a listen. Big time talent. You see Holmgren there. We've seen this guy make a three. We've seen him dunk the basketball. We've seen him use the left hand. We've seen him block shots. And he's a freshman. He's a diaper dandy deluxe. He's not just a diaper dandy. He's a deluxe diaper dandy. He has been the man. Look at that. He is not your normal seven-footer. And it's so good. So vintage Dickie V. And Chet Holmgren, seven feet, 190 pounds. Like, that's the prototype for basketball these days. The man's crazy. It's crazy. It is good to see all around. Absolutely wild. Also crazy, uh, a couple of weird pictures. I feel like we need to warn people what's coming up right now. Just in case people have some sense. First of all, oh, oh, boy. This Aaron Rodgers getting reporters over Zoom. A close look of his fractured toe. Disgusting. And then also there was Kevin Durant of the Brooklyn Nets showing off his ashy ankle. Got a lot of attention on social media last night. Faze, which has disgusted you more? Nah, the toes, man. Like, the toes are gross, man. Especially knowing what we know now about that guy. Like, (laughs) Like, I don't understand. Like, and now he turned it into his profile picture on Twitter. And what what, what are we doing? I don't even want to look at it. I don't want to look at it either. I actually, um... I'm over all of it. I will credit KD, though, because he doesn't take slander lightly. We know KD. Twitter doesn't take slander at all. No, he doesn't take slander at all. He's very good at the Twitter game. And he saw the comments. He saw the memes. And you know what he said? I'm about to pull my y'all bro card in a second. Bleep y'all. Okay. Well, hold on a second. I, 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 I don't want to defend Aaron Rodgers because you shouldn't be defending him right now. But um, he's playing with a broken toe, and that was part of the reason that he showed his toe like no, that. but nobody asked him to show it. He could no, just no, no, say no. it. But he has a broken toe. And that got me thinking, like, how's your finger doing? It's all right. It's all right? A little better yeah, today? Yeah. I got a white Band-Aid here today. How's how you change Band-Aids? Find anything else right now. I, honestly, I went no Band-Aid all day today. I was feeling good. <laughs> and I came here, started getting ready. And I think I, uh, as I put on my very tight turtleneck, uh, my finger like grazed one of the threads here, and Ooh. I saw a little bit of blood starting to emerge, and I uh, just got the first. I think you, I you need find. to apply like tighter pressure, maybe that might be the but trick. I've been messing with it all show yeah, just yeah. to try to make sure it doesn't like sear out onto this desk, yeah. and I leave Tim no. a real uncomfortable <laughs> a real gift present, for a couple yeah. weeks. Welcome now, back, so. Tim. I stained the desk <laughs> yeah. for you. Yeah. Anyways, no more feet things. Okay. Yeah. Plenty of let's let's see. Yeah. Sports. Thanks. We're, we're yeah. all over yeah. that. But yeah. also, funny enough, I can't imagine there was somebody in the Roger Zoom call going when Aaron said my toes fractured. 
I can't imagine someone went, prove it! Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> like, he had oh, to prove the to? other thing. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Let's uh, let's chat hockey, because we do that really well at Sportsnet. The Habs, they visit the Capitals tonight at 7 Eastern on Sportsnet East. Ontario, Sportsnet 1. Alex Ovechkin, he's off to a yeah, pretty good start. Second in the NHL with 15 Genos. He's now fourth on the NHL all-time goals list with 745. And one, two, three, four, 149 back of Gretzky's record. Today, the great one, a guest on Real Kipper on Born on Sportsnet 590. The fan, they asked him about Ovi's pursuit of his record. I hope I'm the first guy there to shake Alex's hand, and I believe he's going to break the record. I think it's great for the game. I think what he's done is wonderful. I just think it's all a positive. So, for both of you guys, it's got to be a matter of win, not if anymore. At least that's what I think. What about you guys? Yeah, I mean, look, he's still scoring at such a prolific rate, right? But injuries happen, life happens. I would like it to be uh, when it happens because it would just be cool in our lifetime to see someone start and end their career as the top goals leader ever. A record everyone said will not be touched. A Mm -hmm. record everyone said would not be broken. Well, we're legitimately talking about it for good reason, which is cool. And I I gotta say, I like what Gretzky said too, man, because we see a lot of old heads in a lot of sports trying to protect and gatekeep away from the younger generation. Gretzky's like, nah, man, I'm gonna shake his hand. That's cool. Yeah, I think for us, just to be able to have seen him as a rookie and then see his entire progression of his career and develop into the goal scorer that he has become, that would be really cool for people of our generation to have seen that whole trajectory. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's going to happen. I'm with FaZe. I mean, it was a record that we never thought would be broken. Yeah. Wayne Gretzky's goal record. And here we are talking about it. Yeah. It's could. Yeah. Looks like it will yeah, most happen. Likely. Most likely. Absolutely incredible. Um, I always liked Gretzky's old record, too, where I think he had 68 records, and the 68th <laughs> record was that he had the most The records. most records, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, he'll, yeah, he'll yeah, hang yeah. on. Who's handy shake for that one? Um, <laughs> listen, a good mac and cheese, guys, consists of a lot of melted cheese, a lot of butter, mm. some garlic. you got to put a little bit of flour in there to thicken up that sauce is what I'm saying. And I'm telling you this, smoked paprika in your sauce will just add a level of flavor that you did not think you would have. And I think you got to use elbow macaroni. You got to boil that, throw that cheese sauce on top. And as um, we heard from some of our guests about their formula, throw a new layer of grated cheese on top. You can't use the pre-shred. You got to grate your own cheese, three or four different kinds on top. Broil it under the oven for about five minutes. Throw a couple breadcrumbs on top. Throw a couple chives on top just to add (laughs) some green. And you will be eating happy and then sleeping happy subsequently for a very, very long time. We gotta tweet that out. Somebody tweet tweet out Faze's recipe. No part of that. I want no part of that. It takes way too long. No, it doesn't. That does it for us. A reminder: Hockey Central is up next on Sportsnet and Spo- Sportsnet 360 ahead of a jam-packed night on the network. Five hockey games, some basketball. I'm so hungry. Whichever <laughs> game you are watching, enjoy it. Of course, Donovan Bennett is back here with the boy Jesse Rubinoff tomorrow. Kevin Mickey, you're the best. Jesse, you're the best. Have a great night. Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey with Carolyn Cameron starts right about. Now.